Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Okay, how many know there's things that we experience inside of our life from the womb? So needless to say, when you feel rejected and you feel that way, not even understanding why, because I didn't know all about what I just shared with you when I was, uh, when I was a kid. And so anyway, uh, I remember that there was uh, a principal that we had over there that he had an, uh, a dean that was over all the students, and his name was Pete Viviano. He was also into the sports, but he was also the dean of the school. And I remember getting kicked out of class time after time. Some of my friends are watching today on live stream from around the world today that I graduated with, and they know the whole story. And so all I can tell you is I used to have my own seat in the principal's office, can you say? Because <laughs> I used to get kicked out. I'm not proud of that, but that's the reality of the whole thing. And, uh, but there was just something that was missing inside of my life. And so anyway, to make a long story, well, Pete was married to, an, uh, to his wife, and her name was Miss Viviano. Okay, so Miss Viviano was the, um, she was the one that taught typing. That was her class. And I remember uh, going into that there class, and, and, and she'd say things to me like this, you know, Richard, I believe you can do it. Richard, I believe you're going to excel in this. Richard, I believe this here. And it's like she spoke a language that I wasn't used to hearing. And it's really, in my life, it's one of the first ones that I can remember encouraging. Now, my dad was always there when I was younger, so I always got it from him. But this is one of the first people outside that actually encouraged me. And then I remember uh, excelling in that class, typing over 60 words a minute. And to this day, I can hit that keyboard and get rolling on it really, really good. Because I felt that firm. I felt encouraged. And, and she was one that gave me hope. And then my dad asked me one day, he said, Rick, he says, my friend Tony... He needs help. Uh, his guys didn't show up, and I was only like 13 years of age. And so he said, can you go and help him? I said, I'd be happy to go help him. So we called him Tony Trupac, okay? So anyway, so I goes across to this here guy, and I start working for him and uh, unloading tomatoes. And uh, so anyway, this guy took a real liking uh, to me, and he asked my dad if he could hire me and if I could work for him. And this guy was the most affirming guy to me. He believed in me. He spoke very high to me. And you know what? I excelled working under him. Can, can you say amen? I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang on. So I'm, I'm full of a lot of stories today, and I can go into a lot of details about these here. And then I remember that uh, every time I come up to speak, even to this here day, uh, how many know that what you see maybe is real confidence, but how many know my confidence is in God, but I also need God's help? And I don't want to just come up and do a sermon. I don't want to just say words in there because I could do that, okay? But the reality is I want to say things that's going to help the people, that's going to encourage the people, that's going to challenge the people, that they leave here, they're going to be equipped for the battles of life that we all face, amen? Because how many know in life we all face discouragement? How many know in life we all face challenges, we all face opposition, we have an adversary that the New Testament says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I'm convinced after all these years, discouragement is one of the major darts, is one of the major areas that the enemy zeroes in to knock people out of the race. 
And there's many discouraged people that are uh, probably watching by live stream and some that might even be in here today. And so hopefully by the grace of God, we're going to give you some encouragement. So I remember one time I was in a pastor's conference and there was a stadium full of pastors that we were in. It was a foreign nation. And I remember going in there and man, I was nervous. I'm looking at all these people. I've never preached to a crowd like that ever before, much less pastors and leaders. And so anyway, the sweat's on. And I remember Kathy with her big brown eyes just looking over and says, Rick, I believe in you. And I believe you're going to hit a home run today. So you just go up there with God. And you know, how many know that when your partner believes in you, how many know that's really encouraging? And so we, I went up there and just, I, I believe I did everything God said. And the results were very, very positive results from those air meetings. And I say all that because all of us need encouragement inside of our lives. And I'm totally convinced that encouragement is a buffer against the attacks that the enemy brings in our lives. And we all need people inside of our lives, no matter who we are, no matter what our age is in our life, we all need people that can be those encouragements. The last one that was a great encouragement, especially in the latter years of my life was my daddy. Amen. And I remember my daddy just, uh, when he became a Christian, it was really a weird experience. My mother had called me and asked me to come over and, and pray with uh, her so she could give her life to God. I said, Mom, we can do it on the phone. She said, no, I want you to come over. I'll make breakfast and everything. I said, okay, great, okay? So went over there with the kids, and, and I'll never forget when we went over there, my dad pulled up a chair, and he says, because uh, I had talked to him, and he really wasn't interested. So I had said, Dad, uh, what are you doing? He says, well, uh, he said, I've heard what you're saying to your mother, and he uh, he says, uh, I feel I'm ready, and I want to give my life to God. And I said, well, Dad, don't mess with God. I said, no, this is something. He said, no. He says, I, I, I'm ready, okay? So anyway, he caught me off guard. So anyway, so we prayed, and they both gave their hearts to Jesus. And then my dad, with his comedy way, he comes up and he says, he said, and I heard you saying to your mother also that if Jesus takes your sins, he also takes your diseases, and I said, yeah. And he says, okay. He says, then I've had colitis and I've had ulcers for 30-some years. And he said, so I can't see him take away my sins, but you told me to believe it. In the same respect, if Jesus is going to take away my sins, and he's going to take away my diseases, then you do what you said you were going to do to your mother, lay hands on me, and I'm going to be healed. And I said, that's right. And he said, if I'm healed, then this is what he said to me right at the beginning. And he said, then if I'm healed, then that means I can eat bacon and eggs from this day on. <laughs> and like, okay, in my mind, I'm sweating bullets. Okay, this is my dad. Finally got him to give his life to God. Come on. And so, and I said, that's right, dad. You got it right. And I don't even know if I believe what I said. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I said, God, this is Pastor Brian. Kathy can tell you. Okay. So anyway, so we prayed. And he says, okay, and? Put on the bacon and eggs. You got colitis and you got ulcers. Bacon grease and it just doesn't go good. Can you say amen? Anyway, to the day he died, he ate bacon and eggs. Come on. I mean, it's just him. He could go to the big boy and I mean, time after time after time, never had an issue and this and that. So daddy was a real, real incredible encouragement. So he believed in me and he told me, uh, he would warn me of different things and different people and different things. And so he was always an encouragement to me. And you know, I want to give you something of encouragement today. How many need encouragement? Come on. Okay. So I want to go to the text I'm going to use in Ephesians chapter four. 
more. And then I want to just talk a little bit about Moses for a minute. And then I want to go into the one that was nicknamed the son of encouragement, and his name is Barnabas. And we're going to be going there in a moment. So in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, 29, it says over there, don't use foul. Now listen to this here, okay? Foul. How many know he's not speaking to unbelievers here? He's speaking of believers here. Okay, and he says something out there, don't use. In the context of this, just so you know it, is righteousness because it says, it, it, it says over that we've been created in true righteousness and holiness. So that's the context of where I'm going here. But then it says in verse number 29, don't use foul. Well, the word foul means grossly offensive to the senses. It speaks of loathsome, disgusting, filthy, or dirty, unfavorable, abounding in errors or in marks of correction. So he said, don't use that kind of language. Anybody ever say something foul in your whole life? Just, just a little bit, maybe just a little bit. Raise your hand. Okay, so nobody in this here room. Okay, you're also, okay. Okay, and then there's another one, and it says over there, and it says an abusive language. An abusive, we know what that is, harshly, or insulting language. Has anybody ever had somebody been uh, rude to your life? Come on. Just, okay, and then it speaks of uh, insulting language, mistreating, treating badly, that which is detrimental, that which is defamatory, that which is offensive, language. And then it says, let everything you say. So in contrast of this here, in contrast to foul and abusive language, the writer now by the Holy Spirit is in telling us, okay, this is what you used to do, put this aside, and this is what I want you to deprogram your mind from, the foul abusive, and reprogram so that your words, what does it say out there? So that everything you say be what? Good and what else? Helpful. So God wants us to speak words to one another that would be good, advantageous to the person. Those that would be helpful for those. That which would, would assist them in their journey. That which would help them along the path of life. And then he said, so that your words, because words are the containers of power that were released into the heavenly realm, have spiritual power to create. Okay? Those words can build up and encourage are the same words used negatively could be the words that can discourage you. So he says so that your words will be what? An encouragement to all those who what? That hear them. Look at the next verse, if you will, even go down to verse number 30 of the same chapter. And then he says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by what? The way you live. How many know when we speak discouraging words to one another, we're actually grieving, sorrowing the Holy Ghost? Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Then look at 31, and then we're going to start the message over here. It says, come on, everybody, get rid of what? All bitterness, what else? Rage, what else? Anger. And then he types in again, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior in there. So we recognize something that encouraging words, whether they're from mentors, whether they're from leaders, whether they're from loved ones within a relationship, whether they're from overseers, whether they're from employers, whether they're from employees, wherever they're at in relationship, they're the ones that give us the buffer from the enemy in these areas. And amazingly enough, 
the Bible teaches us in light of the last days, and I'm not here to preach my theology and what I believe the last days is going to look like. Uh, the, the scriptures are very, very clear as far as I'm concerned from 1 Thessalonians 4. It teaches us about the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain. The scriptures are very clear. It says the day of the Lord shall not overtake you as a thief in the night, so you have to be here uh, for that day to take place. So I'm not going to develop all that, but I will say this. The last words that he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, encourage one another and build one another up. So the gift of encouragement is literally a gift to inspire people, to admonish people, to give heart to people, to support others so that they can be strengthened and resolve faith and spirit. I've learned this here from the studies that I have done, and I'm writing another book on this, my second one. The first one has done incredibly well, The Secret of Kingdom Life. But over these last six years, I've learned so much more and I've done so many, so many studies and research on the topic of gratitude. And when I read the Bible, I always look at it through the lens of that there, that filter, because that's how God says that we are to enter, okay, with thanksgiving. But I've also learned over here that they have taught me now that when there's gratefulness that's released amongst couples and encouraging words released amongst them, for every, listen carefully, for every negative word, that is spoken to a spouse. It takes a minimum, everybody say a minimum, of five positive encouraging words to dilute that one negative one. So if you're in a relationship where you get 10 put downs a day and you might get one or two encouragements, I'll tell you that relationship is already going south. It's already on a path of destruction. And maybe just God brought you here today to change the foul and abusive language coming out of your mouth towards one another so that we can build one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. And I'm not even talking about the five-to-one ratio. Wouldn't it be nice to have five positives and zero negatives? Can you all say amen? And so anyway, that was a word for somebody in there, and I believe it's for more than one couple. Amazingly, the Bible teaches us about the great man of God, and his name was Moses. And we saw that Moses had an anger issue. Moses was a very reactive type individual. We saw what he had done in slaying the Egyptian, okay, that was persecuting the uh, children of Israel in captivity. And we saw that Moses actually went up and he slew the guy, took off. Then the next day they were talking about him, and how many know Moses ran and fled for 40 years? There's a whole story about Moses and his leadership skills and his, um, and his being trained under the daughter of Pharaoh and all the protocol that he had, all the understanding of the Egyptian ways in history there that I don't have time to, uh, to, to, to develop. But I will say this here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses makes reference now to the mantle and succession being passed out. And in 37 it says, and the Lord was also angry, Deuteronomy 1:37, with me because of you. And he said to me, Moses, not even you will enter the promised land. Instead, your assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, will lead the people into the land. And then he says one thing. He doesn't develop it, doesn't go into it. So he's speaking about the succession of mantles. And he says, encourage him, for he will lead Israel as they take possession of it. So I believe that as a church, I believe it's all of our responsibility, all of us, to not just 
pick apart the next generation or the succeeding generation, but to be the greatest encouragement, the greatest encouragers, the greatest cheerleaders, the ones that will be there to say, we believe in you, the ones that believe that you're going to make it, the ones that believe that they can do it and they will do great things for God. I'm not moved by what I see in the culture. I'm not moved by what I see in the society, but I am moved that God's going to have a glorious church without spot and without wrinkle, that God is going to have a giant slain generation that will rise up in spite of the Antichrist, in spite of the things spoken and said, that will rise up with the spirit of faith and a spirit of encouragement that they can and they will overcome every giant and obstacle. Can you say amen? So we believe that with everything in us over here. And so the generation needs us as their cheerleaders. I remember a few years back, there was a national leader that I had a very strong word for. And it was not the typical personal prophetic word that people have, but it was more of a corrective word. And I remember that because this person knew me, they came back to me afterwards, already made an adjustment, already said we have received the word of the Lord, already am thankful for that. Can you all say amen? And, and, and went on. But because there was a relationship, they were able to receive it, but they were also looking for the encouragement that they felt in the prophetic word that was there, that yes, this is an issue, but this is the solution, this is the answer, and I believe you're going to rise up in faith. Amen? And they did, and that person's doing great things for God today. Where I want to talk now is about a story, is an incredible story, a first mention of this here man, and I'm going to start for time's sake in verse number church in the book of Acts was the foundation of the truth as a baby is born, it's never meant to stay in a place of immaturity, but that baby is to grow up, that baby is to develop, come on, that God wants you and I to learn from today. As a matter of fact, these principles are unchanging. It said that the apostles were steadfast in what? Steadfast in prayers, they were steadfast in the breaking of bread, and they were steadfast in fellowship. How many know those four characteristics are still the same characteristics that the new covenant church is built on today? How many know it's built upon the word of God? How many know we need fellowship one with another? A praying church. And everybody said yes. So look what it says over here. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John, we know this here story over here, they were persecuted and they were forbid to preach in the name of Jesus any longer. So what did they do? They, they actually put stripes upon their backs. They hit them with 39 different lashes and then they let them go. And the opposite of what they said for them to, not to do is what they did. Come on. So it says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. What they told them is they forbid them to preach in the name of Jesus. And then it says, when they heard this report, it said, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, come on, creator of heaven and what else in earth? The sea and everything in them. What else did it say about that? Come on, come on. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? So we see something out there in the early church. There was great persecution that had hit the church. And in the context was there was a praying church that was going on that was being formed and God was doing amazing things inside of them. How many believe that WCF is on that same journey today? In May 11th in the year 1999, a prophetic voice came actually into WCF, and he actually gave us what we call almost 38 minutes of prophetic words that came over Windsor Christian Fellowship. 
And what I've learned about in my life is that the prophetic words are what gives us encouragement and the scriptures give us encouragement because how many know God knows the future better than we know our past? And I'll just share this here. I've also learned in these here 41 years about the timings of God and the seasons of God. I've learned that many have aborted the entire plan of God for their life because they went out into something and the timing wasn't right. So I've learned that timing is huge to God. Just like if the timing in a car is off, how many know that thing ain't going to run right? In the same, and then what's going to happen, there's going to be breakdowns that's going to take place. In the same respect, I've learned that there's seasons of God. The Bible says that there's a time and a season for all things under heaven, according to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastics 3. But I've learned that I want to be in the timing of heaven in everything that we do, but I also want to be sensitive to the seasons. Seasons always speak of changes. It speaks in our area here. The season right now, we just came out of spring, and then what happened? We didn't even have a winter this year. Come on. (laughs) Went right into spring. It was like 80-some degrees over there in, in February this year. It was crazy. But anyway, but there's always different clothes that you bring out for different seasons, right? In the same respect, there's different preparations for different seasons and timings of heaven that are out there. So what this word came out in May 11, in 1999 that I believe now is the time and I believe now is the season for this to be fulfilled. Can you all say amen? And this is what it said. It said over there, it said a spirit of prayer is in this place. And this was from Chuck Pearson. And again, this was in May 11th, 1999. And he said a spirit of prayer in this place. Lord, a spirit of intercession, the Lord says, even in this house, I'm about to build a prayer ministry. I am about to start off. I am about to erect that which I have called you to erect this hour. I am going to start off with 12, and I'm going to come into 1,200, says the Lord. The Lord says, I will begin to fill this house, and it will be a house of prayer. It says, in the days ahead, the Lord says, you won't just have a room, but the whole place here will be known as a house of prayer, the Lord says, when people walk in, they will feel the mantle of prayer falling upon them, the Lord says. Now, building the prayer ministry, the Lord says, when you get to that place of Gideon's army, the Lord says, you will begin to explode, and that's when the region will begin to return to the Lord says, and the Lord says, get ready, for you will build, and you will increase, and then you will spread out. Can you say amen? So how many believe we're in that timing now? How many believe we're in that season? And we've already launched it. It's already going. It's already moving. It's starting to increase. We're starting to see these times coming together. And we're starting to see people with passionate perseverance in the area of prayer. And we're starting to see them unite. We're starting to see them connect. And I believe that we're in that time frame of season now, but I believe it's going to grow to the 300s. And when it hits 300, I believe it's when it's going to break out. Amen? It's significant because we, we, we see that in Gideon's day, we know that he had 300 men and they wiped out the Midianites. How many can say amen? That was the strife. That was the division and all the other because Midian actually means that. So I believe that we're in the forming stage of that. I believe we're in the storming stage of that. And I believe we're going to see what God had said prophetically fulfilled in the day and hour that we live in. And everybody said amen. Now, go in your Bible, if you will now, back to the book of Acts, chapter 4, and I want to start the message. 
Okay, and I want you to look at now, for time's sake, in verse number 32, we laid the foundation for prayer, now we want to go to verse number 32, okay? Now look what it says there, come on, all the believers, what was happening, come on, were united in heart and mind, and what happened? And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So let me just summarize this to the greatest thing I can. How many know there was an unselfishness in the early church? I'll say it again. There was an unselfishness in the early church. And it says, well, not their own, so they shared everything that they had. Now look at it says in verse number 33. Keep going. We're going to go right down. Okay. Everybody, come on. The apostles testified how? Come on. Powerfully. What did they testify about? Of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. Now notice it didn't say God's blessing was upon them all, but it does say God's great blessing was upon them. And there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses, what happened? They would sell them. And then look at the result that happens in verse 35. Go right down. And bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Go to verse number 36. For instance, there was what? Come on, Joseph. So what I want to bring out, now he's bringing one singular person. But how many know it wasn't just one? There was many others that were there. So he's giving now an example of what was happening in the early church over there. So it says, for instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Why did they nickname him Barnabas? Okay. Uh, Many people have a lot of nicknames for me. Over the years, when I was growing up, they used to call me Animal. Okay. That was a nickname that they had. All right? I'm not an animal, okay? I'm a child of God. So the new creation reality was really helpful for me, amen? Especially to deprogram all the other things because what they nickname you is what they want to see you become. Isn't that a wonderful name, okay? So anyway, for instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles, nicknamed Barnabas, which means, what does it mean? Come on, son of what? Encouragement. So how many would like to have a name like Barnabas, son of encouragement? So they didn't call him Joseph any longer. As a matter of fact, all the apostles all the way through, you will never hear his name again as Joseph all the way through to chapter 15. You'll never hear the name Joseph in the Bible again because you, because this is what they call him, son of Barnabas, our son of encouragement. So he was from the tribe of Levi, and Levites were the servant leaders in the church, and it says of Levi, and came from the island of Cyprus. So he was a Cypriot by nature. He was a son of encouragement by his nickname. He was of the tribe of Levi, and so we know that he had Jewish organs. Now look what it says in verse number 37 about him, okay? It says, he sold, everybody say he sold a field that he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So we don't know how much that land was worth. We don't know what the land where it was at. All we do know is that he sold it, and he brought all the proceeds to the disciples. Come on. How many believe that's nice when people sell houses or businesses or lands and then they bring all the money into the church? Okay, that's really well. This is New Testament preaching just by the way, amen? And and, and so I believe that if God's got the heart, the other is not the issue. So the first thing that we know about this Barnabas was he was a son of encouragement, but he also lived a generous lifestyle. Two people got a hold of that. I'll say it again. 
He lived with generosity, amen? It didn't say that he was an apostle here. It didn't say that he was a prophet here. As a matter of fact, we just know that he owned lands and he sold those their lands and he gave the price to the church and there was great rejoicing in there. We see another couple came in in chapter five right afterwards, Ananias and Sapphirias, and they liked the acclimate that Joseph got. Come on. They liked all the attention that he got, but they had a different heart than he had. Okay, so it tells the heart of Barnabas was a pure heart before the Lord. We see in the scriptures in the book of Genesis, excuse me, in the book of Isaiah 32, 8, it says, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Two things about that, generous people plan, amen? So generous people, they are strategic in their life. They are strategic in their planning and they're strategic with their talents. They're strategic in their businesses. They're strategic in their giving. They're strategic in their church. They're strategic with their employees. They're strategic with their employers. They're very strategic. They're planners. How many know Joseph was very strategic? Okay, what, not just this Joseph, the Joseph in Egypt, how many of us said, King, this is what I want to do. I want you to build for these seven years. It's going to be the most fruitful, productive years. So they plan, but then afterwards, how many know there's going to be seven lean years? So because they had planned in the good years, they were ready to go through the lean years. Come on, church. And so they plan. But also the second thing is they're steadfast in their generosity, or they stand firm in their generosity. So generosity, when we speak of it in our 21st century, people just think of that, that of finances that individuals would give. But it's not just finances. That's only one segment of it. It's a spirit of generosity that permeates through every area of their relationships. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their talents. They're generous in forgiveness. They're generous in giving. It covers every area of their relationships and the people. And the Bible says there's an attraction to that. In Psalm 37, the Bible says the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly, it said, are generous givers out there. And then in the New Testament, there's many scriptures that we can speak about, about this generosity. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources that then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And then he makes this profound statement. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And everybody said, amen. amen. So I've learned about this here that not only from Barnabas's life, but I've learned to study those that were generous Generous with their time, generous with their talents, generous to their children, generous with their families. Generosity was permitting, uh, what was a permeating force inside of their life. And I've watched over the years how they prospered. I've watched over the years how they've been steadfast. I've watched over the years how they've helped and blessed and been a blessing to many, many individuals. And one that I want to talk about for just a moment today that I believe will be an encouragement to you is the owner uh, called David Green 
of Hobby Lobby. Now, I'm not here to promote his business in any way, so I don't want you to take it that way. As a matter of fact, this article came across my Beth from churchleaders.com, which I subscribe to, and I read articles almost every morning of my life from them because it's all articles that are written to encourage ministers, to help ministers, to build teams, and things that I use today in my leadership development, I get from this here webpage out there. So this article, okay, I actually just read it on Thursday, It's an excerpt from a book called Giving It All Away and Then Getting It Back Again by David Green and Bill High. This just came out in May of 2017, and it's used by permission of Zondervan was this was given. And it said, David Green is the founder of Hobby Lobby. In 1970, David borrowed $600 to buy a molding chopper. He set up shop in his garage at home and started making miniature wooden picture frames. Today, Hobby Lobby employs more than 32,000 people. It operates 750 stores in 47 states and has become the largest privately owned arts and crafts retailer, not in America, but in the world. They are known for honoring God on Sunday and all the stores are closed to give employees the days off for their families and encouraged to go to church. As a matter of fact, it says right on their webpage, you can type in their official site over there. It says, we are committed to honoring the Lord and all that we do by operating the company in a matter consistent with biblical principles. So when a few years ago... The United States government wanted them to take finances and to use it to pay for legal for abortions throughout the country. They said, we're not going to do that. We believe in the sanctity of life. And they had to fight it, and they won their case. Amen? Okay, so here's what they said over there. We serve our employees and their families by establishing a work environment a company, uh, and company policies that build character, strengthen individuals, and nurture families. We provide a return on the family investment, sharing the Lord's blessing with our employees and investing in our community. Their store hours are Monday through Saturday from 9 to 8. All, everybody say all. All Hobby Lobby stores are closed on Sunday. Now, in the natural, to make a decision like that in our culture today probably wouldn't be the wisest decision. But how many know we don't serve a natural God, we serve a supernatural God? So let me just give you a little bit of looking into his life, because to me, this is very, very important that we have an understanding. Oftentimes, we see people where they're at today, but we don't know the journey and the decisions that they made before. Let me just state this to all of us that are here in Canada today, and those that are watching by live stream. When I started Windsor Christian Fellowship in 1982, there was hardly a restaurant open. When I started in 1982, the the Devonshire Mall was not open. The Universal Mall was never open, and the one on the other end of the city was never open. As a matter of fact, everything was closed. How many can relate with what I just said? How many can relate? Because those that are older, most of the early group that was all here this morning all understood exactly what had happened. And there was laws with inside of our land that they wouldn't be open. It's amazing what's transpired since they've changed all those their laws and the laws of God. But how many know for us in our culture today, Sunday was a day of rest, and how many know Sunday was a day that we honored God? 
It's still to me a day that we honor God, amen? It's not my personal Sabbath, but it's a day that we honor God. So this guy said, you know what? I want to start my businesses off honoring God, and I want all my employees to be at church with their families on Sunday, and so I'm just going to honor God in my businesses, Lord. Okay, so look what's result from that there, and this is what I want to read to you. So again, it said over there, David has a new book, giving it all away, and he shares his incredible heart, his vision, and legacy, and it's my prayer that his book causes all of us to deeply think about the legacy that we are leaving behind. I believe that God has placed us on earth to work, to earn, to care for those he has entrusted to us, and yet I also believe that we are put on this here earth to give, to devote ourselves to a radical brand of generosity generosity that changes lives and leaves a legacy. To paraphrase God's words to the patriarch Abraham, we are blessed so that we can be a blessing. But what do we mean when we talk about being blessed? In our culture, this might be interpreted as financial blessing, and certainly it can be a part of it. But I believe, however, that the blessing God talks about encompasses so much more. And since I have been exceptionally blessed in my life, I had determined to give exceptionally as well. And what about the way others in which I've been blessed? My families are blessed. My friends are blessed. My talents are blessed. I'm blessed because of the freedoms I have, the education. And he goes on and lists them all. When I consider all of the blessings I've been giving, it's hard for me not to pause and thank my Lord and my God. I didn't do this at the first, but I want everybody to stand for a moment and just thank him for the people in your life, for the talents in your life. If you're single and you want for marriage, thank him for the husband he's bringing in your life, for the bed that you have, thank him for the home that you have, thank him for who you are and what he's done inside of your life. So everybody, voice it out loud. I thank God for Pastor Kathy today and the gift that she is to my life. I thank God for all my sons and all my daughters and all my, and they all seek you and they all want you first today. I thank God for WCF. It's a great church with great people, and I thank you that you're a great God upon their lives, and I thank generous with their talents, generous with their finances, and I thank you, Father God. They've been blessed to be a blessing, and I thank you that churches all over and people all over decree and agree that WCF is a blessed house today in Jesus' name. You may be seated. What's this legacy anyway? The dictionary gives two definitions. A legacy is an amount of money or property passed to us, someone in a will. And second, a legacy is a thing handed down by a predecessor. And I want to use the second definition because I believe it includes everything. From belief to right action to finances. You and I possess so much to hand to our predecessors, things seen and unseen. There's a desire inside of my heart and my wife's that when we turn over the church in the days to come, that we'll leave the church totally debt-free, that we'll leave the church with a godly legacy, that we'll leave the church with the highest of ethics, the highest integrity, the highest of honesty, the highest of principle, the highest of character. Can you all say amen? amen. And we want to leave the church with a heritage that they can build and they can go on further than we've ever taken it. Amen. That's the heart of every father. That's the heart of every mother is to see your offspring and see them succeed. When we have the Abba, uh, gen, uh, the Abba offering next week, that's why we sow. Why? For the generations to come to rise, that they will have everything and they will learn to live with a debt-free spirit. Can you all say amen? 
Our story begins, and this is from his book, and he says, God took me on a wild trip that landed me where I am today in the land of seen things, my company, Hobby Lobby. But God has taught me that with great wealth and power comes great obligation to the next generation. Knowing this, I have worked through my legacy plan more than once and have finally landed here, writing you my thoughts on this here matter. This is the story that I want to recount in my book, Giving It All to God. My hope is that others can learn from it and that perhaps our generation can bring doing what a few generations before us have done well, pass a true legacy to those that follow us. I realize that running a billion-dollar company doesn't exactly make me just one of the guys from a purely financial standpoint. Money tends to separate us in our culture, and that's unfortunate because I'm just like you. I get up every day and I spend time with God. I kiss my wife. I eat breakfast and I go to work. I'm just a man. I started my career working retail, stocking shelves. I got married and started a family. I've lost sleep wondering about the future of my wife and my children. And now I'm entering that area of the baton exchange and I want to do it well. I want us all to do it well. I want my grandchildren to grow to up to understanding that generosity begins with an attitude that extends into every aspect of our life, not just money. I want them to understand that today begins their legacy. And because if there's one thing I've discovered, it's that true wealth encompasses all of my life. He goes on and he says, that's the big idea. I believe we can chart a course for our lives and our families that allow us to think beyond one generation. We can outline our vision, we can outline our mission, we can outline our values, and we can live that out through our generosity. These ideas will allow us to stay rich for generations, not just a monetary sense, but in a value sense. Whether you are at the end or the beginning of life, I want to challenge you to do these three things. Work with all your heart for God and not as unto men. Hold those plans lightly because you really have no idea what the Lord has in store. And then lastly, consider now what you want your legacy to be. It's not too early to begin. The decisions you make today will affect the legacy that you leave behind. Whether you are a young businessman and has found himself encountering what the world sees as success, both in career and family life, or a young woman who recently graduated but has no idea what is in front of you, today is the right day to make your decisions in light of the truth that God owns it all. Live your life in this world while investing your wealth in the next. Of the various scriptures under the glass of my desk, this is perhaps the most compelling in my heart and mind. And there's so much more I wish I had time's sake to read today, okay? But this is what he has on his desk. And this is the most important thing to David Green. He says, 1 Timothy 2, 7 and 8, the Message Bible, this and only has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. I hope they put that verses on my tombstone and everybody said, amen. amen. The heart of the man was to be generous and the generous hand shall be made fat is what the scripture says. Next week we have the opportunity to honor God. Next week we have the opportunity to go beyond all natural laws and to go into the supernatural laws and to sow a seed with the generous. 
The Bible said the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Barnabas' life did not stop over here just with what we shared about generosity. Barnabas was the one in Acts chapter 9 that ministered to the apostle Paul, the spirit of encouragement. When all the others rejected him, he believed in him and put his stamp upon him. And because of it, it sanctified the atmosphere for the miracles of God to be done. We also see in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas was the one that was sent in to all the new disciples. Why? Because he was called the son of encouragement. And what I've recognized today is new people as well as older people, we all live and we all need and we all breathe encouragement. Can you say amen? And I believe that what God desires to do in this here house is that it would be a breeding ground of encouragement for the generations to come. That when the new people come in, they get spiritual daddies and mommies around them. Whether it's in the small group ministry or whether it's in the school of the vision that we have or whether it's in the uh, mentor groups or whether it's in the department heads that we have that have a spirit of encouragement on them and they will in turn give that spirit of encouragement to the new ones that are coming up. Amen? Because how many know that in life we fall in life we miss the mark but the real winner is not listen the real winner is not the one that gets knocked down but the real winner is the one that gets back up time after time after time inside of their life you know years ago I heard of a story about a man that was given another chance was the title and this man developed the first vaccine for polio and he actually passed away in 1995 his parents were actually from Russian Jewish descent and this is what his name, and many of you know him as Jonas Saltz, and the great scientist in the discoverer of the vaccine against polio. He understood the concept of being, of being encouraging. He was once asked, how does this outstanding achievement, which has effectively okay, brought an end to the world polio, and our vocabulary cause you to view your previous 200 failures? I like this here. This guy, he had 200 failures that most of us would never know about his life. His response, paraphrase, was, I never had 200 failures in my life. My family didn't think in terms of failure. They taught me in terms of experiences and what could be learned. I just made 201 first discoveries, and I couldn't have made it without learning from the previous 200 experiences. If we had that concept and we looked at people not and labeled them not just in their failures, but in their mountaintop experiences, and we began to speak encouragement, I just wonder if we can change a generation. And finally, Pastor Brian and I, we both are students of history, and we've had a hero that both of us have looked up to for many years, and it's the late Dr. Winston Churchill, and many of you know about him. He was raised with encouragement. He was not intimidated by errors. When he made one, he simply thought, the problem through again. And someone asked him, Sir Winston, what in your school experience best prepared you to lead Britain in her darkest hour? And Winston, they said he thought, and he pulled his head back, and he said this here, wait a minute. And then he said, it was the two years that I spent at the same level in high school. I don't know if you caught a hold of that. How many caught a hold of it? It was the two years that I spent at the same level in high school. And they asked him the question, did you fail? No, replied Winston. I had two opportunities to get it right. <laughs> Amen. What I've learned about all these here men and all the stories is that these were people, were individuals that lived with the spirit of encouragement. 
And my prayer as we leave this here room today is that you and I would go out of here and that we would encourage one another. The book about Romans chapter one says when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. How many know there's men and women today that have had the blows of life, the hits of life, and, and their faith might be a little bit challenged. Their faith might be a little bit weary. But let's be the men and women that are going to encourage them in their faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Not only did Paul say that I want to give it out to the others that are having a challenge in faith, but I also want to be encouraged by them. I want to be like the book of Romans where it says, if your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. And there's some in this room that they have the supernatural gift of encouragement, but there's other in this room we have to step out and use our faith to encourage one another. And finally, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Think about that. The Apostle Paul wrote three letters we know to the Corinthian church. We know that we have two of them inscribed as doctrine and canon today. But in the last letter that he wrote to the church, I love these words. He says, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, and encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. Encouragement isn't optional inside of our lives. It's right up there with being joyful. It's right up there with growing up. And it's right up there with living in harmony and peace. As a matter of fact, it's right in the middle of the entire list. Let's all stand up together. I want to just encourage you to encourage somebody in your little circle today. I believe that this is something that is needed in your life. It's needed in my life. But it's not just a culture that we're trying to create. It's a lifestyle that we want to embrace. It's a spirit of encouragement. And I believe that there's men and I believe that there's women in here that you have that gift. But I also believe that every one of us has an encouraging word. I want to close with one more story and then we're going to break bread. I had a man that went through a very, very challenging time in this last six months. This man is a very dear friend of mine. He does not live in our cities. He lives in a different province. And this man went through one of the most challenging experiences inside of his life. And I ran into him very, very recently. And face to face, he came up to me and he said, Pastor Rick, he said, I, I, I just got to tell you something. I just got to tell you something. Many times I wanted to just throw in the towel. Many times I just wanted to run. Many times I wanted to quit when I was going through that pain. But he says, Pastor Rick, your little text came in at just the right time. Your little just, you believe in me, came in at just the right time. And you know what? To me, it took maybe five, six seconds just to write something and just to say, man, you're on my heart, because they were. I'm praying for you, and I believe in you. But I did it consistently over a period of six months while this man was going through it. And I didn't do it every day. I probably did it maybe twice a month, maybe, maybe weekly even, but it wasn't every day. But how many know God knows what we all need to hear? And maybe God wants you just to text someone. Maybe God wants you to ask forgiveness from someone. Maybe God wants you to reconnect with someone. Maybe God, uh, God has something out there for you of encouragement just to give to someone else because you're a blessing, amen? And I just encourage you all that are watching at home, get with your family, get with those that are watching with you and break bread and serve them together. So let's go out in the aisles. Let's break up into groups of three, four, maximum five people. And I want you to serve one another communion today. And I want you to 
just to speak words of encouragement to them, words of blessing over them, words of generosity over them. I want you just to speak. A, and we're not talking flattering words to them. We're just talking real down-to-earth words today. Tell them you appreciate them. Tell them how valuable they are in your life. Tell them that God's got a plan for their life. Just encourage them and their faith today as we break bread and close today.